Luke 4, 1 through 13 tells us, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much for being with us today at River Oaks. We are really, really glad to have you here. We're continuing our study this morning that we've titled, We Are Values and Marks That Define Us. Now, you may wonder, why are we doing a series like this? Uh, someone said to me the other day, wow, it seems like things are, are going well in the church, and, and uh, the comment was made that it was, seemed a bit unusual to be doing something like this. Well, I just want to assure you, I, I think things are going really well in the church. I think our unity is good, and our discipleship is progressing, um, but we must never be complacent about the kingdom of God. Jesus lived with an urgency about seeing the needs of the world around him. He told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Elsewhere in the gospel of John, Jesus, after sharing the gospel with a Samaritan woman, his disciples came to him, kind of wondered what he was doing. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest fields. They're white. They're ripe for harvest. The fields of human need around us are abundant in their need for laborers, to use the biblical word. And so our church leaders have been asking, how can we best fulfill our role in the harvest that surrounds us, in the needs of humanity that surround us? We began last summer with the elders on our session praying and asking, how can we best impact the kingdom of God for his glory? How can we bear the most fruit we can possibly bear as a local church? How can we best fulfill Jesus' mandate to glorify God and make disciples? And in addressing that question, we begin to clarify our mission, our process for disciple-making, our values. On the screen, you'll see what we call the vision frame. It's also in the center, center panel in your bulletin. 
And we state our mission of the right of the panel is building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. That simply means we see our identity not just as people who come to church to learn and love one another and grow. We do those things, they're important. But we also embrace our identity as people who are sent by Jesus into the world around us with his love and his truth, with his mission and his message. Jesus said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In this process, we begin to clarify our discipleship pathways, you see it there, and then focus on seven values that we believe should characterize our church. And not just our church corporately, but each of us individually. We've now moved to the fourth part of the vision frame, the marks or measures, ways we consider whether we're making progress in the application of the values to our lives. Last week, we had a fantastic guest speaker, Bishop Tejado Henschel. And if you weren't here last week, I, I hate to tell you this, but it was a lot more exciting last week than it will be this week. He is a phenomenal preacher, and he spoke on the, the value of missional living. And before we leave that value and move to our next one, as we will this morning, I want to follow up uh, on missional living with three things. Number one, as he talked last week about the need to get out into the community, reaching the marginalized by going to the margins, one of the greatest opportunities we have here in Forsyth County is at our jail and prison. The Forsyth Detention Center downtown, Winston-Salem, can hold up to approximately 1,000 inmates. And the door is open for us there to go and hold worship services on Sundays. Some are at 9 o'clock, some are at 2 o'clock. And we have teams from our church that are often there. But we need more people to go. And all you've got to do to be approved to go is to go through one of their training sessions that are offered quarterly. It happens one is this afternoon at 2.30 at Piney Grove Baptist Church, and the details are in your bulletin. If you're looking for a way to serve outside the church, it's a great opportunity. Secondly, we have a number of people in our church that uh, are still this morning uh, applying this value of missional living in Lumberton, North Carolina, where the renovation, restoration efforts are underway. About 60 of our youth and youth leaders are there, and last night, uh, there returned a number of the men from our men's service team. Our men's service team is doing work that's just phenomenal uh, all over the community, and they went down to work with our youth in the uh, restoration there as people still recover from the effects of the flood. Third, this morning we have a wonderful guest with us. Uh, Pastor Robinson, come on up. Pastor Richard Robinson is from Jamaica, He's one of our longest uh, supported and, and loved missionaries. Um, I had the privilege of meeting him when I was a young man, and neither one of us had any gray hair. Um, he's a fantastic pastor in Jamaica. He has served faithfully his whole adult life. He actually began preaching, I think, when you're 14 years old. So, yeah, long time. And when you and I think of Jamaica, we hear of Jamaica as Americans, we sometimes think of resorts, Ocho Rios or Montego Bay. He knows a part of Jamaica that's very, very different. 
where the needs are very, very great. And he has served faithfully there for many years. Uh, would you join me as we welcome this honored guest, Pastor Richard Robinson, the River Oaks Community Church. Thank you very much. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord has certainly blessed us to come together, and our aim should be to worship him and to fellowship one with another. It's a privilege to be here and to have taken time out from my schedule in terms of what I would be involved in. Um, today, I would be traveling across a number of churches, no doubt this morning, but the Lord has given me a break to which I deeply appreciate. And so it's, it's, it's wonderful to be here. I got saved at the age of 12, uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of 14, uh, went to church um, the Sunday morning after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then this good old church mother looked around and says, we heard this little brother got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he has to preach today. How would you like to be in that kind of church where you come this morning and without any preparation, you are put on the spot. You got to deliver the word. And at 14, the word went out, the soul that sinneth shall die. That's the first message I preach. The soul that sinneth shall die. And so after the, first, the message in the morning, the good old mother turned around and said, Brethren, this young man not only filled, but he's full. And so he has to preach again tonight. You don't want to be there. I got to preach the Sunday night. And after preaching the Sunday night, the pastor lived 14 miles away. And so when he comes Sunday morning, that's it for the week. And she just said, brethren, this is a revival service. And he's going to preach for the week. And at 14, I preach for the week. But after the week, that church was not the same. Souls were saved, and, 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 and people were on fire for God. And so the Lord has called me to serve in Jamaica, and not just on the nice part of Jamaica that some of you are privileged to go, Montego Bay and Negril and Ocherias, and that's, you know, the artificial part of Jamaica. You know, I, 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 I serve in the real part of a country, of the country, Mandeville, Manchester, um, Newport, to be exact. And there... Um, you know, I've been serving for the last 30, 30 odd years um, in carrying the gospel and major in church planting. And I've, 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 the Lord helped me to, to have planted over that period of time, you know, close to 20 churches. And so, you know, to God, to him be the glory. Um, this is not something that you here would want to be in your everyday life. It can be frustrating. It can become real mind-boggling as, as, as day by day you have to, to face things and face it by faith. And I share earlier on, but I share, you know, in the midst of everything, God is a provider. Not only the provider, God is a miracle worker. And I can assure you, doesn't matter what your circumstances, you can trust God to provide. You can trust him to give you a miracle. And while I share, I share two more and then I I, I, I just shut up and let let pastor preach. Amen. Glory to God. But I, you know, um, some years ago when things were, my back was against the wall. I mean, against the wall. If you ever heard that, you have to be there to understand that. Um, nothing to eat, nothing to spend. People are coming to you for things and absolutely nothing to 
to give. And so the only person I could turn to was like the psalmist David. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And, and I, I, I said, Lord, have you not seen me in my situation? Um, and the Lord spoke. And this is how the Lord spoke. And I want you to know that he is a miracle-working God. Back then, um, Pastor Dave Bailey, um, there was a gentleman who came to Jamaica with Larry Ravis about on the first trip, George McCulloch. And George McCulloch is up in Winston, uh, up in, uh, not Winston-Salem, sorry, West Virginia, um, at um, Westminster Presbyterian Church. And the Lord spoke to a gentleman who have never been to Jamaica, who have never been to Westminster Church. And the Lord woke him up and the Lord said, I want you to write a check in the name of Richard Robinson. And it was strange, he says. And, um, but he did, he obeyed. And when he wrote the name, he said, Lord, what should I do? The Lord said, bring that check to Westminster Presbyterian Church. He had never been there, so he went there, saw the usher, and said, this strange thing happened to me this morning. The Lord spoke to me and said, I must write this check. And this check belongs to one Richard Robinson in Jamaica. He gave it to the usher who brought it to the pastor, who says, there's a strange phenomenon here this morning. Somebody brought a check, and it is in the name of Richard Robinson for, for one Richard Robinson in Jamaica. Is there anybody here who knows of this Richard Robinson? And in that audience was George McCulloch, who had been to Jamaica one time. And he was there to say, yes, I know him. That's how it came true to Jamaica. God is a miracle-working God. And if you, if you trust him, and we, we, we have to trust them. We, we, I'm, I'm involved with young people to a great extent, and we're doing a gymnatorium right now, you know, for them to, to create a place for them to be wholesomely safe. Okay, you know when they're out of your sight. And so, you know, for years, the building has come to a halt, and we're believing God. And the same God who provides then is able to provide now. Because his word said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think. So God is bigger than you, bigger than me, more mightier than we are. And he provides all of you here to support us, people like me in Jamaica, and many more throughout the world. God bless you. It's a privilege to be here. Have a wonderful day. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for our brother and his ministry in Jamaica. Father, we stand before you in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We pray for you to pour your greatest blessing on our brother and through him to the people of Jamaica. We especially pray for the young men and women the youth, the students to whom he ministers, that you would pour out your spirit upon them, that you would establish them in faith, that you would strengthen them with your grace. Protect his health. Be a shield around him and his wife and his children. Keep them in your divine care. Guide them, provide for them, anoint them, empower them. Bless them and keep them, Lord. And we thank you for giving us the privilege of knowing him and having a small part in his ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. So missional living is a part of who we are. 
we move to our second value, uh, which we are considering today, and considering specifically how we grow in this value, and it's the value of biblical understanding. We're looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke that Grace read a moment ago. It's the passage where Jesus is tempted by the devil. But it's important to have just a little bit of background, so I'm going to read two verses from Luke chapter 3. This occurs just prior to Jesus being taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it reads this way in Luke 3. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Take note of that. God the Father speaking to God the Son. You are my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. We move ahead to chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, which is where he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. This is the point at which Satan comes to Jesus with three temptations. The first of those is the temptation to turn stone to bread. Now, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. The Bible says, of course, he was hungry. The devil says, if you are the Son of God. Note that just prior to this in his baptism, God the Father spoke as God the Holy Spirit was descending like a dove, as God the Son was being baptized, and God the Father said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan immediately attacks his very identity as the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus didn't debate Satan. He didn't argue. Could have debated him, of course, at any point in time. Jesus simply answered by quoting a scripture. from Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now that verse Jesus quotes is from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 3. It's a verse that was given by God to Moses for the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus merely quotes Scripture when he's faced with temptation. Perhaps the most important thing we should take from that is that Jesus viewed Scripture as the authoritative Word of God. He knew it was enough to defeat Satan. He knew it was enough to defeat the temptation. Could Jesus have turned Stones to bread, of course he could. We read later in the Gospels that Jesus turned water into wine. He multiplied food for thousands of people. And Jesus was hungry. But he refused to use his own power to do something that was not yet in the will and word of God. Perhaps we'd, we'd call this a temptation to satisfy our own desires over God's revealed will. Throughout life, you and I are going to face temptations to do this, 
to satisfy our desires, to get what we want to get, to do what we want to do, to have what we covet, to bring to ourselves what we find most appealing, and in some cases that will be at odds with the very clear will and word of God. And the call for us is to follow Jesus' example throughout life and saying, God, not my will, thy will be done. And in doing so, Jesus defeats the temptation with the word of God. So Satan comes again with the second temptation. This time, it's a temptation to actually worship the devil. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I'll give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. The first question that comes to my mind when I read that passage is, was it really a temptation? Did Satan really have the authority to make this offer? Some would say that when Adam and Eve bowed their knee to the devil in the Garden of Eden and turned from God and, and ate the forbidden fruit that they gave up their God-given dominion, and Satan gained that dominion, and therefore in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world with a little g. Regardless, though, Satan is not God's equal opposite. Satan is a created angelic being. He has not always existed as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has. He is under, ultimately, the sovereign power of God. So why did Satan bring this temptation to Christ? Perhaps, perhaps, it was a way of coming to Jesus in his human flesh, for he was fully God and fully human in coming to this earth, and saying to him, there's an easier way to get your kingdom. Isn't that what you came for? So that all authority in heaven and on earth would be yours and you would set up a righteous rule and reign in which righteousness and peace will do. You can have that. You can have the kingdoms. And this is a way to get it and bypass the cross because you know what that will entail. There will be the horrific pain of crucifixion, yes, but much more. If you choose to go there, you take the place of all these sinful people. And the judgment due to them comes to you. And you, Son of God, who know no sin, will bear that. What will that be like? Jesus would not turn from his destiny, his path, what we call the gospel, to go to the cross, to take our place, to bear the judgment for our sin, to become the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us, to become our substitute. He doesn't hesitate. And he quotes again from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6. And he says, it's the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, or as some versions say, worship. Not you, Satan. 
only the Lord your God. Perhaps this was a temptation to compromise in order to gain. And that's a temptation that all of us face in life, don't we? To compromise integrity, to compromise God's way of uh, biblical truth and morality. Today's April 15th, right? I imagine there are lots of folks right now, this very day, being tempted to compromise as they do their taxes, and probably in our country, billions of dollars will go unreported in order to gain. Others might say, why limit sex to marriage? Yeah, the Bible teaches that, I know that, but isn't there an easier way to experience pleasure? We're often tempted to justify our reasons for violating God's revealed will. And this is what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They had God's revelation. They had God's word. And Satan came with the temptation, something that was pleasing to the eyes, and tried to bring a justification for disobeying God. He says, if you eat this, God just knows you'll be wise like he will. And they ate the forbidden fruit. Where they, where they failed, Jesus prevailed. And he again relies on the authoritative word of God to fight his battle to resist the devil. He quotes scripture. So Satan comes with a third temptation. And this time, Satan has apparently begun to see that Christ is going to lean on the written word of God, so here's what Satan does. This temptation is to presume upon God. And the scripture reads, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, he continues to challenge his very identity as the son of God. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan now is using scripture himself. It's written. He quotes from Psalm 91, which says the words you see on the screen. He stops in verse 12. Had he quoted verse 13, we would have read there that the one who trusts in God is able to tread on serpents and trample them underfoot. Pointing, I think, to the authority of those in Christ over the devil himself. But when Satan quotes from Psalm 91, he's twisting it. Psalm 91 was not intended to move people to jump off of temples or high buildings. It's just a beautiful psalm that that lays out the, the beauty of trusting God and dwelling under the shelter of his wings and his care for those who place their trust in him. Jesus recognized the twisting of scripture from its intended purpose. So Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This temptation was a temptation to make God's word say something it doesn't say. And it's just like Satan did in, in the Garden of Eden when he begins to cast doubt on God's word, his revealed will, when he said to Adam and Eve, did God really say this? 
Does this happen today? Are we ever tempted to make God's word say something other than what it really says? It's happening across the United States in a number of mainline denominations who in their original documents once held to the authority of Scripture and the full inspiration of it, who find themselves now departing from Scripture because it's at odds with things that they'd like to rather endorse. Sometimes we'll hear someone say, yeah, I believe the Bible, I believe it contains the Word of God. Typically what a person means when they say that is that God's Word is His Word inasmuch as it speaks to me, not the entirety of it. Jesus treated Scripture differently. In John 10 and verse 35, he said, the Scripture cannot be broken, and he called it the Word of God. In his own life and ministry, he went about fulfilling Scripture, and as we see in these passages, he treated the writing of Scripture as the authoritative Word of God. Jesus sets the example for us. Uh, he models for us what it means to trust in Scripture and to apply Scripture. I think we see in this passage particularly three things. Number one, Jesus knew the Scripture. He had it ready in his mind. We find when he's only 12 years old, the Gospel of Luke tells us, Jesus in the temple with the learned teachers of the law hearing them, answering their questions, and they're amazed at his understanding and at his answer. The only real glimpse we get of Jesus' childhood in the Bible. He's learning. He knew the Scripture. Secondly, Jesus knew how to apply the Scripture. He knew when Satan was twisting Scripture, trying to teach something with a verse taken out of context that was not intended in the writing of the Scripture. He knew how to apply it. And thirdly, he trusted the power of Scripture. It's so remarkable to me that in all these cases where Jesus could have just said, just rebuke the devil, or could have debated him, or whatever he wanted to do, he merely quotes a verse of Scripture. He's showing us that the Scripture itself, when we face temptation, has great power, empowering us to resist temptation. The Bible's filled with images that teach us the power that is in God's Word, the Scripture. Prophet Jeremiah said, God's Word is like fire. It's like a fire. And what does fire do? Well, it's powerful in its purifying effects. The Bible teaches it burns up chaff. The prophet went on to say, God's Word is like a hammer. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's powerful to break resistance, that which opposes God's will. Powerful to, to subdue the hardness of heart. God's word is also like a sword. The Apostle Paul wrote of this when he called the sword of the Spirit the word of God. It's an offensive weapon in the hands of believers to defeat the devil and resist his temptations. So as we draw to a close in our brief look at this passage, I think it leads us to ask this question as we, we measure the degree to which we are progressing in our biblical understanding. How can I grow? How can I grow in biblical understanding? Number one, learn God's Word. Read it. Study it. 
often talk to people who say they've never read the, the Bible before, and sometimes folks will say, I'm just not a reader. I just, I just don't enjoy reading, hard for me to retain things. And what I recommend in that case is that you get an audio Bible. You get it on your, your phone. Just listen to it. It is remarkable how much of the Bible you can cover just listening to it audibly in your car when you're traveling, have a little spare time. When I was a sales rep many years ago and I was in the car a lot, they had these things in that time, some of you have never heard of them, I know, but they were called cassette tapes, little <laughs> plastic cartridges. And I had the Bible on tape, and I just listened to it over and over and over and over, and it's remarkable how much you can take in just listening to Scripture audibly like that. Learn God's Word. Live God's Word. Jesus stressed the importance in his teaching of not just being a hearer, but being a doer. And he gave the little parable you see on the screen when he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is teaching us not just to be hearers, but to be doers. We learn God's word, we live God's word, and ultimately we grow to love God's word. David, in the Old Testament, the king of Israel, wrote many of our psalms. The psalm you see on the screen, Psalm 19, is the longest of all the psalms in the book of Psalms. And it's really an expression of trust in and love for God's word. The psalmist writes, oh, how I love your law, does my meditation all the day. As we grow to experience the power of God's word, to change the way we think, to renew our minds, to guide us in life when we need direction, to cleanse us when we need the purifying effects of his word because the Bible says Jesus washes us with the water of his word. When we experience the encouragement that comes when we're discouraged. That's, that's often been my experience with the Bible is that when I've been discouraged, God will speak to bring encouragement and renewal of, of faith and devotion. The more we experience that, the more we just come to love God's word. May we grow in our desire to learn, live, and love his word as a church and as individuals. Would you join me as we pray about that now? Father, We thank you that you have made your word so readily available to us in this country in which we live when so many in our world do not have the same access. Lord, may we not come under judgment for being people who have your word available but disregard it. Would you create in us, please, a love for your word a growing desire to learn your word, to live out your word, and to love it even more. 
Would you work deeply in us by your Holy Spirit, Lord? And we make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus.